Some time ago, papers across the country reported that Mark and Deborah Holmes, a couple from Pinehurst, Texas, were out doing a little garage sale shopping when they came across a picture frame they kind of liked. It, it cost a whopping 50 cents, so with no real idea how they would use it, they went ahead and bought it, and as with most garage sale items, when they got home, they promptly put it up on a shelf in a closet and forgot about it. About a year later, as Mark was rummaging through the closet, he came upon the forgotten frame and upon closer examination noticed the contents within the frame. Inside the frame was a poem. And as he looked closer, he could see that the poem had also an inscription on it. And because they didn't pay much attention to it, they didn't notice that the inscription read H.W. Longfellow. H. W. Longfellow, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Now, Mark and Deborah didn't know who this Longfellow guy was, so they, before they threw the poem out, they decided to call down to the local library to see if they had any books by this guy. And when, he, when they found out that there was a poet named Longfellow who had the first initials H.W., they began to call around to some colleges to see if anybody could give them a hand to see if the poem inside their frame was anything special. Turned out it was. The poem was called The Village Blacksmith, perhaps Longfellow's most famous poem. And on top of that, the poem that Mark had in his very hands had words crossed out and editorial notations in the margins. And it was an original working draft by Longfellow that dated back to before 1840. All that inside a 50-cent frame bought at a garage sale tucked away inside a closet. Mr. and Mrs. Holmes later put the poem up for auction, significantly increasing their net worth. Sometimes you just don't know what value you possess. Years ago, police officer Elizabeth Cook of the New York City Police Department was busy doing her work as an evidence librarian in the bowels of the 44th Precinct Station in the Bronx, far away from the public eye, when a call came in that she was needed in a life-and-death situation. What she came to learn was that a man was standing on a ledge of a high-rise there in New York, and they were trying to keep him from jumping off the ledge, and they needed her help could she come? Why Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth grew up with a deaf brother, so at an early age, she learned sign language to communicate with him, and as it turns out, the man on the ledge was deaf. He had just buried his girlfriend, the only companion he had ever had, who loved him just for who he was, and now he was ready to end his life. Elizabeth Cook had this gift of immeasurable value. So off to the high rise she went. I'm here to help you, she signed to him. Tell me please what happened. I'm here to help you. Tell me please what happened. The two signed to each other and eventually the man stepped back through the window and to safety. Sometimes you just don't know what value you possess. 
You know, ever since we were young, we have been evaluated. When we were infants and toddlers, we were evaluated at our progress in physical and mental growth. When we were in elementary school, we were evaluated in respect to our ability to learn, to read, to write, and to do arithmetic. When we were older, we were evaluated with grade point averages from the classroom and dexterity on the ball fields. And along the way, we got evaluated also in respect to our appearance and social and emotional IQ. Later, we got evaluated by our resumes and our answers to interviewers' questions. Perhaps most of all, we've been evaluated as to our ability to perform in our jobs. And of course, we've always been evaluated in respect to how many people like us. And all these evaluations have their ability of narrowing the focus on what we have inside. We may have 10,000 gifts and talents. We may have gifts of immense value, but the evaluations of life have their way of just focusing attention on that one little gift that we have or another. A trained engineer may be gifted to build bridges, but may also be inclined toward painting with watercolors. A highly paid accountant may be gifted with numbers, but what she really enjoys is playing the flute. A steel worker may know everything there is about a blast furnace, but prefers his time in his wood shop. A preacher may be able to, from time to time, preach himself out of a wet paper bag, but what he really enjoys is fly fishing, and that would not be me. And so it may turn out the most valuable gifts we possess are the ones that we have managed to hide somewhere up in the closet or deep down within the bowels. You see, the marketplace may have its way of narrowing the inventory you have inside of you to only those things you feel are marketable. No surprise that a lot of retired people, when they leave their jobs, feel as if they've left themselves. No surprise that young people feel this pressure to distill the 10,000 gifts they have into something that will just get them a job. Back in my youth ministry days, I had a young man in my youth group who expressed an interest in going into the ministry. So we met and talked a couple of times about going into the ministry. Until then, I got the call from her, his mother insisting that I cease and desist talking about ministry with her boy because he was going to be a businessman. It's hard to find sometimes the sunken treasure of your gifts buried underneath the opinions of other people. So it's interesting what takes place in the first century when Paul and then later the Apostle Paul, when Jesus and later the Apostle Paul talk about the kingdom of God and becoming new creations. And they say that while civilization and culture may call you one thing, a slave, a peasant, a, a sinner, a leper, a Pharisee, a tax collector, a rich man, a poor man, a carpenter, an executive, you name it. The truth is that the one who created you and called you good at the very beginning, endowed you with goodness, and endowed you with gifts, and planted deep within you the sunken treasure of enormous value. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, Paul says. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. In other words, there is an enormity within you. There is a Spanish galleon of gold sunk beneath your surface. There is a treasure chest at the bottom of your sea. 
You see, that's the amazing thing about your existence and mine. Not only are we valued because we are the creation of God, which is to say this divine goodness can only create goodness, stunning goodness, for it was you who formed my inward parts, writes the psalmist. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are valued because we are chips off the block of goodness. We are cut diamonds off the 50-carat stone. And then on top of that, we are valued because there is none like us. We are the unique piece to the puzzle. We are the essential ingredient to the stew of life. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. You are the light of the world. There is nothing, nothing is going to taste the same without you, and without you, nothing is going to look the same, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Martha Graham, the great dancer and choreographer, put it this way, there is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all of time, she continues, this expression is unique, and if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost, and the world will not have it. It is not your business to determine, she concludes, how good this is, nor how valuable, but how and how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it clearly and directly and to open up the channel. So the journey inward among many things is this journey to discover all those treasures, all those channels, all those unique pieces to the puzzle so that we can begin to participate even now in the great joy of creative expression. Maybe that's what Nellie Elvidge figured out. They called her the sock doll lady. She was the woman who Susan Levine wrote about in the Washington Post, the woman who at 104, living in a nursing home in Fairfax, Virginia, understood that God had given her a long life for a purpose. So she made sock dolls, and somehow she could take a boy's Fruit of the Loom crew sock, and with a few snips of the scissors and some stitches here and there, make it into a cute-faced, cuddly, slimmed-down version of the Pillsbury Doughboy. And each of those little sock dolls got shipped over to the nearby hospital to be given to the siblings of just arrived babies, a present for brother and sister that they could call their own. Now Nellie is long gone, but at last count, she made 1,847 of these sock dolls. What business does a 104-year-old lady have making sock dolls for little children she's never going to see? Oh, she's in a great business. She has found the treasure inside, and she's allowed the spirit to activate, and she has discovered what great value she can bring to the life of a young child she'll never see. Like the epitaph found on an old Yorkshire tombstone, God, give me, my, give me work till my life shall end, and life till my work is done. Oh, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. Ron Rivera stumbled around after college, not really knowing what he was going to do for the rest of his life, until he stumbled upon a potter. And he wondered if he might like pottery. So he learned 
pottery, and the more he learned, the more he liked it. He became a potter, what every parent wants their child to become, a potter. And then one day, Hurricane Mitch hit Honduras, and people were dying by the hundreds from dirty water issuing from compromised water supplies. And Ron figured out that there was a way of throwing a terracotta pot that it could be turned into a water filter. And he perfected it to the point of being able to filter and produce perfectly clean drinking water for a family. And then he began to create factories to produce the pots. And then he began to travel from town to town, home to home, country to country, teaching people how to make these pots and how to use them. And all told, by the time that Ron tragically died from malaria at the young age of 60, they estimate that Ron the potter saved likely around 4 million people. Sometimes you just don't know what value you possess. And maybe right now is when you need to look for it. Years ago in another church, a gentleman approached me after worship and gave me an envelope that he wanted me to put into the church offering. I took the envelope, put it in my breast pocket of my suit, and promptly forgot about it. It was a winter suit, and it was the end of winter, and I put the suit away in my closet and didn't pull it out for another six months. And of course, then I reached into my breast pocket, and there was an envelope, and there inside the envelope, a check for $1,000. $1,000 that was not intended for me, but was intended for something far greater. Maybe there is no better time than right now, a time when we have a little more time to ourselves, to instead of fearing what is outside of us, to look inside of us and to dig deep into our own closets, to explore the depths of our sea and to wonder, what is the treasure buried within? What, what gifts has God planted within me? What value do I possess? And then to realize that these gifts I've been given these gifts that may have slipped unforgotten into my pocket, that they were always intended for something much larger than me. And maybe now they are needed more than ever. You just don't know what value you possess, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made.